Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from TheLoveHonorInVacuum.com. And every Thursday, we like to talk about marriage and how to strip away all the extra stuff that hurts us and get back to what Jesus intended. And I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. And today, we have an interview with mm-hmm. one of the most requested people that we, I keep having people email me saying, you got to get Kristen on. Yes. And so, without further ado, our interview with Kristen Cobes dumay of Jesus and John Wayne. Well, I have a treat for everybody. I am so excited because I have Kristen Dumay on with us. She is the author of Jesus and John Wayne. And we've known each other on Twitter and I just love you. And I'm so glad (laughs) to meet you in person. Same, same, same. Both of you, huge fans. So it's it's great to actually talk kind of face-to-face. Yes. And you wrote a lovely blurb for the Great Sex Rescue too. So thank you very much. I did. It was a very heartfelt blurb. Not one of those where you're searching for the words. It's like, I know exactly what I need to say about this. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, need to read it. So Jesus and John Wayne has been out since before COVID or just as COVID was starting? I just believe. after COVID. So since June. So COVID so, hit. We're trying to figure out how you release right. the book into the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and then Jesus and John Wayne. Yes. And this week it's out in paperback. Yes. Very yes. exciting. So that's awesome. And so we want to encourage everybody to get it, but you need to know what's in it. And so Chris and I are going to have a chat. Now, a lot of Jesus and John Wayne is quite political yes. and it's kind of like a political history and, mm-hmm. um, evangelical manhood and stuff. But what I really want to focus on is masculinity and sex. Cause that's Absolutely. my thing. And I Absolutely. love those chapters. So <laughs> tell us like the premise of Jesus and John Wayne when you were writing it. Yeah. So mostly I, I started just wanting to explore white evangelical ideals of masculinity of Christian manhood. And I first became interested in this topic because some of my students introduced me to a book long ago, John Eldridge's book, wild at heart. This was in the early two thousands when the book was all the rage, right? I mean, it was being read everywhere. Every college student, Christian college student seemed as reading it in their dorm book groups and church groups. My church was hosting studies. And uh, so I opened the book and I was kind of surprised to see that this book on Christian manhood uh, didn't do a whole lot with the Bible. (laughs) Instead, it looked to lots of Hollywood heroes like Mel Gibson's William Wallace from the movie Braveheart and just Mm -hmm. mythical cowboys and and warriors to to paint this picture of quote unquote Christian masculinity. And uh, this was really striking to me. And so that kind of set me off on this long journey of seeing what else evangelicals were saying about what it means to be a Christian man and trying to figure out where their ideas were coming from and uh, what difference these ideas made uh, both personally in terms of everyday evangelical lives, but also politically. And we, we want to say too, like you are a Christian, you teach at a Christian university yes. and you're a historian, right? So I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> yes. I teach at Calvin university. I am a lifelong Christian. I grew up in the reformed tradition. I'm still an active member in the Christian reformed church. So yes. Yeah. Cause I know there's, there's often a lot of people wondering, oh, you're just beating up on Christians, but that's not what you're doing. I, <laughs> no, no. Similar to us is you're calling people back 
to Absolutely. Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And as somebody who reads the Bible, who respects biblical authority, I think one of my, my, the roles that I have as a historian is to help Christians understand how much of their beliefs that they believe are biblical, that they've been told are biblical, are in fact deeply shaped by uh, history and by culture. And that these are packaged and sold as biblical or timeless or inerrant, when in fact, many of these teachings are deeply shaped by our cultural um, alliances and identities. Yeah, I, I was thinking about when we're talking about how people often just like to go immediately to the, you must not be a Christian then, mm-hmm. how it's just so important that as we are listening to people who, you know, even if, if, even if someone's listening and they don't agree with everything, you know, recognizing that a conversation doesn't need to be threatening, right? Because mm-hmm. we're going to find out, you're going to listen and think, okay, no, I don't agree with that. Or you're going to listen and think, I'd never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, that was my overwhelming feeling when I read Jesus and John Wayne is like, how could I not have seen this? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. my goodness. And I think that's how people feel reading the great sex rescue. I know. Yes. I kind of feel like they're very similar books, yes. but just in different, totally <laughs> different realms. But yeah, because, you know, people have just been immersed in this world. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, I mean, that's exactly right. The, the most frequent response I get, I imagine you get a lot of letters from readers as well. <laughs> I've, I've received so many hundreds of letters from evangelical readers who say uh, a couple of things. First, this is the story of my life. And then they give me all sorts of examples. Like every letter is amazing in its own, right? And then um, they say, but I had no idea. And like, that's that interesting juxtaposition. This was like, they're intimately familiar with this, that the books are on their bookshelves. They attended wild at heart retreats. Like they did all this stuff. And at the same time, they never really understood the whole picture, what they were participating in and what values Hmm. they were really endorsing by, by participating in this culture. So it really is a a kind of eye-opening experience, I think, to read these books. And then the books put Christians in a place to say, is this? where we want to be. Is yeah. this a faithful expression of biblical Christianity? Yeah. So what are the values that you think wild at heart? And it's not just wild at heart. No, no, no. It's, it's an industry. Whole, yes. <laughs> what, what are the values that, that that's espousing? Yeah. So the kind of key teachings, uh, key takeaways from wild at heart were God is a warrior God and, uh, men are made in his image. And so every man needs a battle to fight and a beauty right. to rescue, right? That's kind of the crux. And so it presents a vision of masculinity. That's very militant and even militaristic, right? It's about uh, being a, a warrior and you need to fight battles. Well, if you need to fight battles, you need enemies, right? And so it presents this right. kind of us versus them view of the world. And you need to be ready to defi- to fight, to defend. And the best defense is, is a good offense. And right, there's this whole um, kind of set of assumptions that go with that. And then there's this gender difference, like stark, stark gender difference, where it's not just that men and women have some differences, but they're opposites. And so whatever you say for a man, you know, courage and boldness and, and then aggression and all this stuff, it's like the opposite is so mm-hmm. submission and beauty and femininity and weakness. And, and, and so it really ends up kind of dividing the Christian virtues along gendered lines. And, and then ultimately it's not, it's not about just Christian masculinity 
and Christian femininity, it's, it's ultimately about Christianity, right? What, what does a Christianity look like that assumes this us versus them, this, this militancy? Um, but yeah, I, I started with Eldridge did not end with Eldridge. I, I started <laughs> at that time in the early two thousands, looking at all sorts of other books and, and sermons, you know, people like Mark Driscoll, so many other popular writers, James Dobson. And, and then as a historian, I started to ask, where did this come from? Right. And so yeah. then I went back in time and I, I went back really to the, the early cold war era and to the earlier writings of people like Maribel Morgan and Tim and Beverly LaHaye and James Dobson, and could see the origins of this uh, view of, of Christian masculinity and also of sexuality that emerged during a particular time in American history that came to be presented as, as gospel truth. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, but aren't we supposed to fight? Like, isn't there a cosmic battle of good and evil? And that's mm -hmm. part of the Christian life. Like, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we can talk spiritual warfare, right? And then we can talk, you know, what does that look like? How are we to fight? that battle. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, what model does Jesus give us? You know, uh, does, what does it mean to fight against the powers of evil? Well, if we look at Jesus, you know, he, 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 he says, put your swords away and, right. and he heals and his model is, uh, you know, to ride into Jerusalem on the donkey, not yes. the, the triumphal entry that yes. everybody anticipated. Uh, he wasn't the Messiah that everybody was looking for, the one who was going to fight their battles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we can absolutely say, you know, we're, we're in the midst of battles. I think, you know, we all feel like we're kind of in the midst of battles as, as Christians these days. Um, but what does it mean to fight those battles? And that's where I think the heart of Christianity, as I understand it, looking at the New Testament Christ is one that really upends kind of human notions of power. And so to follow the New Testament Christ is to not grasp for power, not use coercive or aggressive power. It's to upend that. And it's a harder path. It's mm -hmm. one of humility and it's one of radical faithfulness, um, but it's not one of violence and aggression. So uh, we just, we have different tactics to fight a very real spiritual battle. You know, it's funny what you're saying about um, every man is a warrior, because that's exactly what Emerson Egrich said. Remember in yes. that sermon that we took apart? When was it now? I guess back it's in the warrior heart, it's the warrior spirit, right? Yes. It's that yeah. he has to step away because he just, he has a warrior's heart. He's just going to, and he actually shook yeah. his fist at the camera, implying that he was going to lose it Yeah, at his yeah. life, right? And yeah. so this is, this is exactly how we're talking. And this is the kind of thing that I, I think what concerns me, because I married someone who uh, didn't come to the faith until he was in his adult years, right? Like we met and he had just become a Christian a couple months before. Mm -hmm. And then we started dating a few months later and he tried to read Wild at Heart when yeah. we were doing the Great Sex Rescue. He couldn't get through the first couple chapters. Yeah. It made him so uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that when we have people, my husband is, is a super manly dude yeah, he has a black belt <laughs> yeah. he has a black belt he's he's tall really good looking <laughs> I mean, like, you yeah. know he's the kind of dad who throws my son up in the air and does a backflip yeah. with him kind of thing yeah. right like he's also a very gentle person and a very kind person a very compassionate person mm -hmm. and he's not conflict focused like he doesn't yeah. want the battle 
right? Yes. And yes. what I think what, what we were talking about as he was struggling with that book and with books like that, and every time he has another face-to-face encounter with quote unquote biblical masculinity <laughs> is that when you come from a perspective that was much more pacifistic because you're an atheist actually, um, where your focus, Mm -hmm. because you don't have an external moral compass, the moral compass is simply do no harm to others and get as much pleasure as you can Mm -hmm. while doing no harm to others. The focus is doing no harm to others. Mm -hmm. Whereas then when you go into Christianity and you see a lot of evangelicals focus is make sure no one else does harm to you. Exactly. And what we were talking about in the whole idea of the man is the warrior and the woman needs to be rescued and he needs someone to rescue is Connor was laughing and thinking about our marriage and my personality. (laughs) (laughs) And what he was saying is just that it's almost like they all forget that Jesus had to die for men too. Right. Like, and we had this long conversation about how our idea of masculinity is almost you know, proving that we had to be rescued once. And so, you know, we'll never, ever have to be rescued. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Like Jesus did the work on the cross. So we're going to make sure we're never, ever, ever victimized ever again. So this never right. happened. Versus just accepting that like, you know, we're all yeah. weak. We mm-hmm. all need, we all need community and need each other. And sometimes yeah. you both need to be rescued. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You know, I think it's so interesting that you bring up your husband's encounter with this because the truth is, many, many, many evangelical men also couldn't really relate to this book, right? But the problem was they were encountering this book, not as this object of, um, of, you know, kind of, oh, that's interesting (laughs) as an outsider. They were being taught this in their churches and their pastors were directing them to read this. And, you know, they were reading it really as God's word, you know, essentially as, as God's truth because of the setting in which they received it. So in, you know, Christian youth groups or or in church small groups. And so they were struggling to come to terms with this as God's word to them as men. And many men didn't fit this, that most men don't fit this Mm -hmm. ideal, right? Very, very alpha male. And so it was actually really poignant for me to talk with men, both through my research for this book. And then after the book has come out, I'm hearing from so many more who just confess that they wanted to be obedient Christian men. That's why they were reading this stuff. That's why they were in their church groups, but they always felt like they fell short. And, Mm -hmm. and so some felt like they just weren't real men they were the beta males and they had to kind of give their authority to the alpha male in the room or out of the room, the leader who deserved to lead. Cause clearly they didn't cause they were coming up short mm-hmm. or they felt tragically that Christianity wasn't for them because clearly they couldn't fit this ideal of Christian manhood. So they, you know, Christianity just wasn't for them. So those are some of the consequences of these extra biblical ideals of quote unquote, Christian masculinity. I've had somebody ask me recently, you know, if if this book is kind of anti-man or anti-Christian man or anti-Christian white man, I'm like, no, the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. This is creating space for Christian men to be who God made them to be and not to try to fit this artificial category. And sometimes the guy actually does fit the alpha and like, you know, I, I have a son-in-law, my other (laughs) son-in-law, you know, who very, very much loves Jesus, but he also has a motorcycle and (laughs) got tattoos and in the military, medic in the military, medic in the military, great, like great guy would be the first to defend you, you know? Um, but 
like he's just different. Like we need the right, right, right. right. But that's not the Christian way to be a man, right? That's a way to be a man. I mean, I have a 14 year old son who literally only wears camo. Like (laughs) all he wears. People, people who know me and don't know him are surprised to learn that. But people who know him, that's just they wouldn't recognize him if he's not, right? You know. So there are many ways to be a man and many ways to be a Christian man. I think that's where the danger comes in when when a particular cultural ideal is packaged as religious packaged and mm-hmm. sold as God's word. This is the way to be a Christian. And that's where the, the trouble starts. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about show up at the door and saran wrap naked. Uh, <laughs> of course. Okay. So, so as a historian, I need to set the record straight, right? Okay. Maribel Morgan did not in fact tell mm-hmm. women that they should wrap themselves up only in saran wrap. Um, that rumor spread somehow, but when she was asked about it, she did say it sounded like a good idea, but she never <laughs> happened to have enough saran wrap on hand to give it a try. So setting the record straight. Uh, I just yes. think that would be sweaty. Like, would it be so really uncomfortable? Sweaty? You wouldn't want to run wrap. Oh, I mean, it just, it just, um, so many questions, so many questions. <laughs> I also failed to see how that would be flattering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. I mean, so many things to to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so I I really loved your sex chapter. I really did. And what was fun about reading it was some of the stuff you looked at was the same books that we looked at for the Great yes. Sex Rescue, and you yes. chose a lot of the same quotes, especially from the Act of Marriage, which made me laugh. But we looked at we looked at you know, the 10 bestsellers today and six iconic books, which were still around, but you looked mm-hmm. at the earlier ones. And one yes. of the earlier ones was the total, it was the total woman. Is that what it yes. was called? Yes. By Mirabel Morgan. And you just got to tell our listeners what she said. Cause it oh, was yes. awesome. <laughs> yes. So yes. The sex chapter is one of my favorites in my book too. It was actually the first chapter I wrote of Jesus and John Wayne. And it just came together. And I have to say, it was also the chapter that I sent to publishers when we were pitching this project. And, uh, I got an email from, it went to Christian publishers, uh, academic publishers, secular trade publishers, but it, it ran into some trouble at one of the Christian publishers because, um, they said it, uh, ran afoul of their, um, their porn filters <laughs> because like <laughs> blame the Hayes for that, right? right. Not me, but yeah. very, we know yeah. there's some graphic advice here, but Maribel Morgan, um, yes. And so she wrote the total woman and I had been familiar with the book. I mean, it's, it's hard to be, do Christian women's history and not know about Maribel Morgan, but she'd always been kind of laughed off, you know, with an eye roll. Oh yeah. There's Maribel Morgan. But what I did is I, I took her seriously. And I think we need to, because her book sold more than 10 million copies. Okay. So this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a cultural phenomenon far beyond evangelical circles, but and we're her, talking what the 1970s. Yes. Like early- 1970s, 70s? Yeah. early seventies. Mm-hmm. And so she, um, it, you know, advised women to, she was responding to the, to the same problems that feminists were at that time, same problems as, as Betty Friedan really, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, in the feminine mystique, the problem that has no name that housewives were miserable. Mm-hmm. They were depressed. They were, you know, not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so that was really interesting to me to realize that, that she was responding to the exact same problem, but her solution was very different than Betty Friedan. So Betty Friedan, the traditional, you know, feminist, uh, uh, liberation model, 
Uh, Maribel Morgan was saying to Christian women in particular, you, you really just have to make the best of this situation. And um, the way that you do that is, um, I mean, we know that you guys kind of hate each other and that you have all these resentments, husbands and wives. And so you're not going to change your husband, but here's what you can do as a wife. You can, you can cater to his every need and desire. You can treat him like a king. And then you will find that he will treat you better too. And that's your way to have a happier marriage. Uh, and that includes um, in the bedroom too. And so she understood that, that um, the sex lives of many married Christians were not good. Um, so her plan was that women needed to um, seduce their husbands. They really needed to rev things up in the bedroom or in the backyard hammock, as the case may be, <laughs> and, and really make um, men feel alive again, because that was men's need. And, and, and who was going to meet that need, if not them? Well, the answer was the secretaries that were, you know, that they worked with. And so she's right. ready to stay at home wives saying, you have to seduce your husbands. You need to please him. So you need to be beautiful and fresh and, and lovely when he comes in the door at the end of the day, and you just put your problems aside, you cater to his, his every need. And that was the model of happiness that she presented to her classes of women. She had classes that would come together to learn them this. She would give them homework assignments, right? Uh, have sex with your husband every day for seven days and come on to him. And, and that is going to be your path to a marriage that you can tolerate and did maybe she, even find pleasure in. Did she ever talk about like orgasm or what to do if it doesn't feel good for you? Or was it really all focused on him? No, it was, it was, it was focused on him. It was uh, focused on her duty. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hers, hers was a less graphic. Hers was more the ideas, yes. right? The, yeah. mm -hmm. the, where to do it, how to dress, um, you know, the saran wrap, not her idea, but dressing in almost nothing except a few bangles and, uh, you know, pretending you're some, you know, to use her word, a uh, kind of gypsy woman as he opens the door, that was kind right. of her model of, you know, what, what unhappy housewives needed to be doing. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I, I will say it's just bizarre to me and maybe it shouldn't be. It's still bizarre to me. Every time we hear like, okay, women aren't happy in their marriages. Therefore they should have more sex with their husbands. So their husbands can be happier. What? Like, like I just, it's just, it's yeah. just bizarre that it's taken so long and we're still not even there in the mainstream Christian culture. We're well, still I think, exactly. Not there. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I think to understand that she was speaking to women who really didn't see other possibilities, exactly. right? These are women who didn't have careers because they were told they shouldn't. Many hadn't gone to college. This was the 1970s. And so you can see how the kind of feminist revolution didn't really speak to them all that much. It was too late for these women. You know, they had made their life choices. They were home in the suburbs with three or four kids and they had no right. career paths available to them. And so fem feminists say, go out into the workforce they say, what are you even talking about? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think putting yourselves in their shoes makes a little bit more sense that feminism wasn't the answer for these women. At least it didn't, not at that point in their lives. And so the idea was, um, hopefully you can, you can get men to treat you better. And so there are very clear examples in her book of, you know, you start having sex with your husband and he buys you a new refrigerator or he takes you on a trip to the Bahamas, right? These are the kinds of things that you could hold out hope for. And I mean, that was a little better. I guess than what they were experiencing before that, but the, yeah. the cost was also pretty high. Yeah. 
Yep. So what, what was your take on Tim LaHaye and the act of marriage? Oh, I mean, that's, uh, where it's, uh, it's quite horrifying. <laughs> did you read, did you read the 76, like the original edition? Cause we read the 98 edition. Yeah. Oh no. I read the original the edition. Original. Oh. Yes. Yeah. The older edition. Cause I have to, I have to, yeah. uh, so I don't know. Um, I, I can't really compare. That would be interesting to yeah. compare one version to the other, but I have the old version somewhere on my bookshelf here. Yeah. What surprised me there was really how, how much of a how-to guide it was. And that was interesting too, because there's this, this misperception outside of Christian circles that Christians don't talk about sex, right? right. That mm-hmm. Christians are anti-sex, mm-hmm. that they're prudish. They are like anybody inside a conservative Christian circles. Like we know it's this huge, huge, huge industry. We talk like, about it all the time. Yeah. All the favorite <laughs> thing, favorite yeah. things. So what was interesting to me was just how, um, how kind of graphic the, uh, and, and open back already in the sixties, right. This was, and how much of an audience there was for this, because in some ways he was kind of addressing the same dilemma that, um, there were real, um, sexual issues within Christian marriages, right. Mm -hmm. That there were these, um, ideals and that many women were unable or unwilling to meet the sexual demands of their husbands. And so Mm -hmm. he talked it up in some ways, I think to, uh, you know, uh, modesty to lack of education. And so he mm-hmm. wanted to offer this education for, you know, kind of guide to sexual pleasure guide to having sex to, um, and, and remove some of the shame so that women could more fully, um, satisfy their husbands. But what was really important to him was to, you know, very much situate sexual pleasure within staunchly patriarchal heterosexual yes. marriage. Right. Yes. And that's that's what really set his writing apart from other popular writing on sexuality in the 1960s and 70s. I will say, I think intended for pleasure by the wheats did that even more. Mm. Like, I think that was even, even worse, more, patriarchal. more patriarchal now, but we did read the 1998 edition, mind you of active marriage, but we also read the 2010 of intended for pleasure. So hard to yeah. say, <laughs> I mean, these, but, these are, these themes yeah. have, have stayed remarkably mm-hmm. constant, I think mm-hmm. too. Uh, that's, that's, what's interesting how over the s- several decades, just how much, you know, these, you know, one, one book has led to another has led to another. And this has just become kind of the chorus. This has become the truth that is hand that has passed around. And so, yeah, I, I was surprised to see many of the consistencies. Usually in history, we look for change over time in terms okay. of discussions of uh, sexuality within conservative evangelical circles. I was, I was impressed with the continuity from the sixties up to the present. Yeah. And I think the big thing that we found when we looked at sex books. And I think this relates to the masculinity issue is that real men want sex and they want it all the time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Like in essence, a real man is not able to have a healthy relationship with sex, according to these books, because the real men in sheet music aren't able to go for more than three days, even if their wife is busy with young kids without watching pornography, right? Like the real men in every man's battle need to have sex 10 times a week in order to get over their lust issues. And then even when they are over quote unquote, because I don't actually think every man's battle does show any examples of a man who's truly over sex addiction. Once, you know, according to everyone's battle, you're past your issue. You're still requiring your wife to be used as a methadone so that you don't ever go back because you don't relapse. 
um, into porn. Mm -hmm. And all of these books simultaneously present this idea that men are good, how they were created. They are created this way by God, but by the way, God created them to be bad people. Mm-hmm. Like which is where you help. need the woman to come in, right. To yeah. tame, to, yeah. to absorb, to, to pacify, right. This otherwise yeah. unrestrained. And that's what heterosexual marriage is for. Right. So you can see yeah. how this, this uh, view of kind of unrestrained masculinity has to be contained within this patriarchal marriage. And that was absolutely a motif. And, and you're right. This is a you know, this is God given, uh, lust, if you will, this is because God filled men with testosterone. And that is, um, you know, it's, it's, God's gift to woman, as my chapter title calls it, right? You want this, you need this because this is also what makes men aggressive and strong and courageous to defend you. And so you don't want to make this go away at all. You just need to channel it correctly. And what was really striking to me, I was not prepared for this when I was reading all this sex advice literature back in the, you know, from the sixties and seventies, just how explicitly this was connected to the defense of the nation at least here in the United States, right? Because you needed to have, um, you needed aggression, you needed strength. You didn't want emasculated men because how are they going to defend against communism? How are they going to go fight in Vietnam, right? So you don't want to in any way kind of tamp down that God-given aggression. Again, it just has to be channeled. And so what women do in the bedroom Mm-hmm. by um, propping up their husband's egos. This is LaHaye's here. You need to meet your husband's needs, prop mm-hmm. up his ego so that he has the confidence to you know, put to use his God-given leadership and aggression outside of the bedroom as well, right? So right. you want it inside the home and you want it outside the home and we need it both places because the two are connected. And that was really fascinating to me, just how this intimate kind of personal relationship was also part of this, this much bigger project as well. Right. Now, I can't remember if I read this in your book or somewhere else, but I would love your take on it too. But one of the things that, or one of the themes that I've been wrestling with is this idea that because Christianity says that the only proper place for sex is marriage, then, you know, one of the ways the guys often prove that they're guys is through their conquests, right? Like I've slept with this many women, but you can't do that in Christianity. So the only way to prove that you're really sexual is to watch porn or to have a lust problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that I would... wonder how much of that has contributed to, to a lot of the, the way we talk about lust and porn. That is so interesting. That wasn't in my book. I'm wondering if that was Sam Perry's work. Maybe um, yeah, it might have been. Yes. Maybe it may have been Sam Perry. Oh, yeah, that probably sounds, was. That yeah, sounds yeah. Good because that makes perfect sense. Yes, yeah. you know, so you're told on the one hand, you have to be this way. This is mm-hmm. how God made you. You're filled with lust. But so what's wrong with you if you aren't right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, are, are you maybe same sex attracted? Are you, you know, what do we, yeah. well, you can't go there if you're in Christian circles. So yeah, you're both filled with shame. I mean, this yeah. is Sam Perry's work, right? If, if you're into porn, because yeah. that's bad and it's sinful, but there's also something kind of not right with you. If, if you aren't also yeah. pulled to that. So it does put men in this really impossible position, even as it puts women in their yeah. own impossible situation uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that idea of conquest coming naturally is, um, uh, or, or, you know, part of, of, of true masculinity, uh, really is, is dangerous, I think in many mm-hmm. directions. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the things that a lot of these authors and pastors and big, like evangelical Christian names who are more on the, the heavily, like 
the the heavily conservative side of all of this um who are still saying the whole every man struggles with porn every man lusts it's girls jobs to keep themselves covered up even as young as eight years old to make sure that the men around them aren't lusting after them all those kinds of messages you know the 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 pastors who are still saying you have to have sex with your husband or else he's going to watch pornography or have an affair and you know it's going to be partially on you because you didn't hold up your end of the bargain right these kinds of things they tend to be so focused on power and hierarchy, both in yes. Christianity, in the country, and in marriages as well. And when I'm looking at all of it, what I can't help but think is, in essence, we've created the other to be an other even more than they already were in order yes. to keep propping up a false sense of the the rightness to hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, especially with yeah. all this stuff about less than porn, it's all a house of cards is going to fall apart because more and more women are watching pornography these days because we know that pornography is not necessarily a gender thing as much as it is a cultural movement in essence. Mm-hmm. It's what's appropriate and what's not. It's becoming more and more appropriate culturally mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. girls to be sexual and for girls to watch pornography. Um, and what's going to happen to all of these gender differences um, that are allowing mm-hmm. people to say, well, you know, you're not allowed to speak up. You're not allowed to yeah. you know, do things as more and more women become quote unquote, like men. I mean, Shanti Feldman's book for women only mm-hmm. talks about how this is a male brain and through a man's eyes talks about how this is a male brain, but mm-hmm. some women can have the male brain, but it's a male brain. Well, then it's not a male brain. It's, right, right. right. It's a brain. Right. Um, and, and I think that What bothers me is when I look at me and my husband, right? Or me and a lot of my guy friends, even like you're so much more similar than you are different. And, and for over six years now, I haven't been in a church that's not very much focused on how we can work together as Mm -hmm. men and women versus how men and how women work. Mm -hmm. Um, And the difference in how power is handled Yes. And how marriage difficulties are handled is mm-hmm. astounding. And I think it's because we're being trained in a lot of these heavily conservative circles to see ourselves and the opposite sex as opposing forces yes. that have to work together mm-hmm. versus yeah. as simply part of the body of believers. Mm-hmm. One comment that we got that I thought was just great was a woman said in response to I forget what exactly it was that you posted, but she said that she and her husband have started saying, it's not about what men want or what women want. Here's what I want, mm-hmm. right? And it's such a simple switch. Yeah. But with yeah. all this focus on biblical masculinity, on like, what's it mean to be a biblical man? What's the yes. wife's role when it comes to sex? Who cares? <laughs> like, who the flip cares? <laughs> like, just do what is good and God honoring and, you know, Christ focused for your relationship. Yes. If she yeah. has the higher libido in your marriage, <laughs> then any different advice right. than if he has the higher libido sometimes. Right. But most of the time, you're going to need the same advice. Right, right. The issue is exactly. not a gender one, it's a relational one. And I think that a lot of times, the reason we're not able to have these conversations is that when you talk about things like maybe all men don't have to lust, and maybe this is more of a cultural, so like sociocultural kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. more than it is a biological and biblical truth, we're tearing down the house of cards that everything is built on. Yeah. yeah. And that's really what your books are. And, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And, and if anyone's interested in reading more about that, like Jason John Wayne does such a good job <laughs> of doing it from a perspective that we have never tackled because yeah. we're really only coming at it from the sex and marriage side of things. And if yeah. you're looking at this in a larger cultural perspective, like it's, it's like getting to look at the city from the top of the CN tower in Toronto, right? Yeah. Like it's totally different. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I love that point about focusing on, um, these artificial constructs that are in opposition, men and women, total opposites, you know, opposed and that, that, uh, it really doesn't speak to the individuality, uh, with which we are created, right. God made us, there's such a variety of men and women, right. There's, there's, such a variety of ways to be human if we just speak more broadly. So one interesting question, or I actually get a lot of interesting questions uh, from <laughs> readers of Jesus and John Wayne um, that, that kind of pressed me as a historian, because I'm a historian, I have expertise talking about the past, but now I'm being asked to give advice, right? So, yeah. you know, what, how should we be Christian men is, is, you know, can you please give us a much, okay, you convinced us this stuff is really bad, right? Now, could you tell us the, the true vision of Christian masculinity? And, you know, my first answer to that is let's just problematize that question for a little bit first, or, or let's, let's put that question in a different place, because why is that such a pressing question? I think that it needs to be answered. It's just to kind of, um, just replace with a new, you know, um, box that isn't going to get us very far because, um, the idea that we need Christian masculinity to hold up as a pattern is itself a problem. I mean, we will get there. We can get there and we can, we can come up with visions of Christian masculinity, Christian manhood and Christian womanhood and things like that, but that shouldn't be where we start. Right. So if we look at the scriptures and if we look at, there is a lot of wisdom in the scriptures, right? There is a lot of teaching that can inspire us and challenge us. And we can look at the fruit of the spirit. We can look at the beatitudes. We can, you know, look at all the words of Christ and, and, you know, throw on the 10 commandments. There's a lot of teaching there. Almost none of it in the entire scriptures is directed to only men or only women. So I think that's where we should start. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a loving person? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? That's where we start. And only like way down the journey, should we start asking some questions now as a man, Mm -hmm. as a woman? And, and so let's first start with what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and then go from there. And so just recentering our conversation and we need to kind of push back against that because for at least half a century, evangelicals in particular, have not been approaching it that way. It's how do you be a Christian man versus how do you be a Christian woman? And they're set in opposition. And that, that really is, I think, corrupting the the biblical message at its heart. Mm -hmm. Well, that is awesome. I love, and I think that's a great place to end. Yeah. Because yeah, like, like my husband always says, it's not about whether you're a godly man or a godly woman It's whether you're godly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, let's just, Focus on that and then live it out. And we'll see how, where, where it leads, right? You know, there's so much diversity and there's so much beauty in that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, be, be the person that God has, has made you to be and called you to be and pattern your life after, after the model of Christ. And, and that would be really good for the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a year since the hardcover launched, your paperback is out this week and people can get it. Please get it. Jesus and John Wayne available everywhere. Available Um, everywhere. Yes. Yes. And what has this last year been like for you? Did you have any idea it was going to go this big? The first six months, people would ask me that question. I'd be like, you know, I actually thought it was a really good book and I thought it was really important. I thought it was going to be kind of big. So I would, I would have to say, yeah, I kind of expected this, but then, um, the way it it kept catching fire, the way it has continued to, uh, really kind of shake things up and, and the book has become much 
bigger than anything I ever anticipated. And I feel like it's just kind of pulled me along. Um, so I think now I can safely say I did not anticipate this. Um, the book has okay. become a thing in and of itself, but it's, it's been absolutely amazing to me to see the conversations that it sparked, that people were so ready. People were already there and the book has just given them words to, to put to what they were already feeling that, you know, this is, this is not their Christianity, that something went wrong and that there is a better and a truer way to be a Christian man and a better, truer way to be a Christian. And so it's been absolutely inspiring to just see the humility with which this book is being received by evangelicals and to see really the goodness behind the conversations to say, um, let's, let's try to fix some of this. It's, it's been remarkable. That's awesome. So to all our listeners, if you enjoyed the great sex rescue, the great sex rescue drilled down really far on evangelicalism and sex. And like we said, this is kind of like the great sex rescue, but for all of culture. <laughs> so it's yep. awesome. Jesus and John Wayne, you can pick it up. And thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us. We yes. really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. This is an absolute delight. I'm a huge fan of your work. <laughs> I really like her. I do. I also find it funny that I was significantly less pregnant during that interview than I am now. Yes. And my hair was significantly shorter. I'm yeah. such desperate need of a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we love Kristen. Just great to talk to her. Yeah. So we have a reader question mm-hmm. that I thought kind of went along with her book. Great. So a woman writes in and says, as someone who grew up with horrendously abusive parents and has cut them off from any future opportunity to harm me, good decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need an older man or woman in my life that I can lean on. However, I find myself terrified to trust any Christian who is also spiritually abusive. And I also haven't been impressed with the selection of psychologists I've been to either. My parents were high profile Christians and had everybody fooled on the outside. I don't attend church, though I'd love to feel like I am loved and belong, as I've been to many different evangelical churches, all different denominations, and have been completely discouraged by the terrible examples of Christ's love that I've witnessed, even at a Christian university. It happens time and again, even though I'm trying to be gracious and hope for the best. I certainly don't aim for perfection in others, but do expect myself and all who call themselves followers of Jesus to take up our cross and die to self, demonstrating active love for others. I love that you and your family recently spoke about your year of church homelessness and Becca's righteous indignation (laughs) about the people in the pews being the ones to follow Christ instead of the leaders. So I'm asking this question in light of your personal experience as a family, not being able to trust most leaders, backlash from churches, lack of Christ-like love, covering up and diminishing sin. I genuinely feel alone like Job, Noah, and Elijah when he was in the cave feeling rejected. Jesus certainly experienced so much more rejection. So what should I do? Where can I turn to find mature believers? Yes. Well, okay. I first want to say that if you're looking for someone to kind of be like a parental guide for you, Mm -hmm. you don't need someone who's in church leadership. No. You don't need someone who has it all together in Mm -hmm. a church sense. Mm -hmm. Like we don't choose, and you kind of get to choose your new kind of, you know, spiritual parent if you're in her situation. But like at some point, all that matters is you have someone who's there to support you, to love you, and Mm -hmm. who you can both kind of feed into each other's lives. You know, that's what you're looking for. So it doesn't need to be someone who is affiliated with, you know, leadership at a church. No. And I think she's just trying to find someone who's like a strong Christian. And so she's been looking in evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. I would say look to some house churches in your in your town. I'd say leave evangelicalism if evangelicalism in your town isn't working. Yeah, like look, I know for for myself anyway. Actually, there was a couple um, back at our church at Ottawa who Connor and I were both we just adored them. I know that they both spoke into my life at multiple different points and and 
they're neither of them are actually evangelical. They're going to an evangelical church because they both are such different denominations. Right. And so, and, and I, I just love them. They were truly um, the hands and feet of Jesus to so mm-hmm. many people. If you're looking for someone who has a strong spiritual walk, you don't only have to look for evangelicals. Yeah. Don't be afraid to look for, you know, the, I don't know what it is all in the States, but, you know, the Episcopalian churches or yeah. Lutheran churches or... Yeah. Some of the more mainstream, if, if the evangelical yeah. churches in your town just aren't safe yeah. or you've just had bad experiences. I would also say, you know, when you're looking for a mentor, what you're really looking for is someone who is where you want to be in like yes. 20 years. And so think to yourself, in 20 years... What do I want to be doing? Like, do I want to be the kind of person who's volunteering at the food bank? Then go volunteer at the food bank because yes. <laughs> because you're going to find someone 20 years older than you who's already doing that. So, and honestly, yeah. a lot of the times when you're looking for, for mentors and for people, in kind, you're going to have to look in weird spaces because they often yeah. aren't in the, the very typical kind mm-hmm. of places. You know, you might want to look for the people who are, yeah, volunteering with the Humane Society or something because you yeah. have a lot of seniors. I mean, my grandmother on dad's side, I mean, my Nana does a ton as well but I'm thinking especially about my 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 grandma she actually has a whole group of her friends who all volunteer at the soup kitchen together when COVID's not a thing yeah and like that's kind of thing where if you don't have like family right Mm -hmm. now just find yourself a gaggle of like Mm -hmm. senior women to just hang with yeah, because they love it. There, my mom got to know the woman who she's she's kind of like adopted this woman's children. I talked about it on the post uh, this week, and she got to know her through a knitting group yes. that this woman went to, um, and it's all seniors except for this one woman. <laughs> and you know, like go try a craft group that can work. Yeah, I would also say get involved online. Like we we met Kristen online. Yes, we did. Like I've been talking to Kristen back and forth on Twitter for months. Like we we're great friends now. <laughs> um, but I met her on Twitter because she's really active on Twitter. And sometimes you can find mentors that really mean a lot to you, but even if you don't know them in real life, and it's good. Yeah. You, you can always have a mixture of different people for different stages of your life or different a- yes. areas of your life. But so. as someone who worked during seniors hour at the YMCA in high school and who has two grandmothers yeah. and, and a grandfather who are seriously involved in serving in the community, yeah. just, just like, you don't even need to look for someone who'd be the same age as your parents. I don't know how old this person is. She might yeah. be in her twenties. Right. Yeah. But just, just look for, for seniors. Yeah. Just look for seniors. Yeah. They usually have the time as well. And yeah. they, they love to be able to speak into the next generation. Yeah. And frankly, it's just nice to have kind of more of a community versus just one person who you're kind of relying on too, yeah. especially since, you know, obviously if yeah. you have your, your parent, that's yeah. often you are Aquafit relying on Aquafit at the Y, great Genuinely. place to meet seniors. Genuinely. Okay. <laughs> We have another special guest that we are going to bring on. Yes, my sister. I am joined now by a very special guest. Hello, everybody. That I know really well. And a few years ago, many of you knew her better than you know me. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. No, well, we have a lot of people. We have who a found lot of people who found us because oh, of your really? channel. Oh yeah, people are always. Because remember, me that. a lot of people were like seventeen, like five years ago, and now yeah. they're like married. So, newlyweds. so this is my daughter, Katie. Hi, everybody. And Katie does all the editing for the podcasts and all the YouTube stuff. Yes. And she has her own YouTube channel, and you've been visiting this week and something happened last week well okay so here's how this here's how this went down I was visiting a friend a few weeks ago um and we were just you know sitting on the couch watching YouTube videos just laughing and I was thinking to myself like what what's a video idea that I could do that would make people laugh because I used to do a lot more videos that were more serious which is totally fine but you know we all need a laugh in the last year or two right Mm -hmm. and we were just having such a good time and I'm like what's the kind of video I could make that people could send to their friends and share it right Mm -hmm. and I, I was going to bed that night and I had this vision of me 
on the cover of a Christian romance novel because <laughs> I've talked about Christian romance novels. I'm sure many of you listening have read Christian romance novels. <laughs> And I just had this vision, and I was like, oh my gosh, I could do a video about this. And then I just couldn't sleep, because it just, you know, you get that yeah. idea, and it just goes. So I got home, and I filmed, and I didn't even tell my husband what I was doing. And then I brought him in halfway, and he just went with it. And then I brought you guys in halfway through yeah. the video. Oh, yeah. I called you up. You guys didn't know about this before I started filming. I called you up, <laughs> and then you guys got in on it, and it just became, oh my gosh, it was the most glorious if you thing have I've not ever seen, made. If you have not seen the video yet, I will put a link to it. It's doing so well on YouTube because I think that for those of us, especially if you're listening to this, you probably are kind of in this niche group where you would have at least encountered Christian romance novels if not yes. read them. Yes. And yes. for this niche, niche group of us... <laughs> in the world, we can all just enjoy this, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I think in the video I did a good job of pointing out that, like, I do read these, I enjoy mm -hmm. them, but I also like to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the goal. Katie's goal was just to create a picture of her on a cover. I wanted to be, a like, the, the wind in my hair and the dress. Right. And the tendrils. But the tendrils. And so she, she FaceTimes Becca and says, I need to think of a title for this book. And, of course... We have like we have the too much gene. Yes, and so then the they they gene. got me and we had a three way Facetime call and we figured out titles and plots for yeah. five. Yeah, so we wrote books. we wrote the titles and we also I wrote the back covers of all yes. the yes. books and then we created the actual covers. Oh my god! In the same so program that I used to do all my blog images. Yes, <laughs> it was shout this, out to Canva. It was this moment of we were all in three separate houses <laughs> in different cities and like we're all looking at the same graphic, throwing things on the yeah. same it file. Was, it was oh wonderful. It needs some cows. I can add cows. And so <laughs> we we're not going to spoil it. You really need to watch the video yeah. um, to find what titles we came up with. But as we've been sharing this on social media, people have been sharing new titles with me, and yes. I thought. That I might share some of those with you okay on this video now of course your grandmother my mother also had came up with some titles yes. which were pretty stupendous <laughs> which makes me think we should have gotten Nana on she's, the FaceTime she's call. an absolute legend yes so she thought we could do a two book series right one of the whole in my heart mm -hmm. followed mm -hmm. up by the whole of my heart but <laughs> <laughs> the second one is w-h-o-l-e yes Somebody else was suggesting the sex blogger's daughter. <laughs> um, or the girl with the ichthys tattoo. With the what tattoo? Oh, I personally like swept away to submission. Oh, jeez. And then uh, someone was saying the next ch chapter has to include David and a cowboy Oh, hat. my gosh. And someone so sent a great picture of a guy with a cowboy hat. Yeah, that is so funny. <laughs> He'd do it. He would be up for it. Yes. Some of the ones that we came up with that didn't make the cut so far, they might still be turned into. Oh, books. I'm gonna just add these to. Like, I have a highlight story on my Instagram um, yeah. where you guys can go see the covers and the backs of all the books. Yeah. And I think I'm just gonna continue adding to that. Whenever As the years go on, there's yeah. no ending <laughs> on this. Well, I just feel like, Kay, like you know how like all these books have almost exactly the same titles? A lot yeah. of authors just kind of change one word. Yeah. So I had the idea, like, we can do, like, a bow for Beth Ann, a date for Deborah, <laughs> a husband for Heather. <laughs> and, like, all of these. I also thought, like, a really a good A bride idea. for Brian. Oh, that's because we go through the men. A bride for Brian, a woman for William. Uh, <laughs> I also thought a good idea would be to do two synonyms in a row. Like, right. That mean exactly the same thing. Like, a beginning starts. <laughs> a beginning <laughs> starts. 
Mom, mom said to me the other day, she's like, how about a hopeful longing? <laughs> <laughs> and then my mother came up with, how long is forever? Yeah. I'm dying at that one. Yeah, which has, which has some potential. I just, can, I, can we just pause for a second, though? I do want to clear up. Like, we, we're laughing and joking about this, but, like, I do legitimately respect the authors <laughs> who write these books, okay? Like, yeah. It's real. It's fun to think of the titles because it's like this beautiful world that we can all just try to be a part of. But to actually do it seriously probably is a lot of work. So yes. I just don't want them thinking that we're making fun of them. No, we're okay. having fun with the context. But <laughs> it was one of the most fun things that the three of us have oh done. In I'm also pretty sure that we got a lot of those authors a lot of orders. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I've been recommending Jody Headland to so many people. Like, because of course I'm getting the DMs. Well, which ones should I actually buy? Like, oh my gosh, I really want to read a Christian romance novel now. What should I buy? <laughs> and I'm like, buy this one. I'm recommending the Bride series by I, Jody Headland. I always liked Eve's Daughters by Lynn Austin. Mm-hmm. I thought that that had some interesting things. But anyway, I mean, the point is we have a fun yes. yes and I just wanted the listeners of this podcast to meet you because yeah. and you can meet Katie on YouTube and yeah she's awesome and she doesn't live around the corner like Rebecca does so no. she's not in my house and she doesn't work on the blog in the same way but uh, no I'm, I'm kind of the behind the scenes person whenever you hear um, like a sound effect within the <laughs> podcast or you think oh wow they obviously tightened that editing up because um, <laughs> there wasn't um every second word that's all thanks to like, me wow these people actually sound somewhat coherent Right. Someone must be doing a lot of work. Right. That <laughs> I know after you worked on the orgasm course, you didn't want to talk to me on the phone because you were so sick of my voice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if I have to hear my mother say the word thrusts <laughs> one more time. <laughs> well, this is a very uh, honest look into what it's like to be a family who works on yes. this kind of uh, yes. area. And just a reminder, Katie is one of the ones in the whole story, our puberty course for mothers and daughters. And then we have a guy's version for for, um, dads and sons, which their husbands are in. And right now there is still COVID pricing on the whole story, but that will be going up in price soon. So now's a good chance to get it. And now that you have seen Katie and heard Katie, depending on whether you're watching this on YouTube or on the podcast but she's an important part of our family too and we had a lot of fun with the romance novel so <laughs> if you want katie to be cover model with bethany house publishers oh my gosh, please people my dreams depend on this then go watch the video and like her comment yes and tell bethany house about it yes <laughs> so much fun seriously if you have not watched that video yet a little bit too much fun <laughs> yeah yeah that and that is us behind the scenes so yeah. there you go all right we are going to end this podcast today with a little bit of encouragement you haven't read this one either okay great. i like springing these on you um this is from an amazon review for the great sex rescue that just came in and i thought that this i thought this was wonderful she said when it comes to seeking help in the difficult areas of life for example mental health or sexual issues the church is the last place i tend to turn <laughs> that is because evangelicalism has handled these issues so poorly there is not a single christian book on mental health or sex in marriage that i would ever recommend to anyone it was just a fact of life for me that i couldn't count on the christian community for helpful advice in these areas and i know i'm not alone in this thinking it's an absolute tragedy that this is so because as christians we know we have the ultimate truth jesus christ we are the ones that should be able to offer help and hope in these areas and yet that hasn't been the case it has always been crazy to me that the secular realm is where i have found the most help rather than the wider church 
until now. <laughs> Admittedly, I love this part. Yeah. I bought this book out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> I had seen Christians that I know to have good theology praising this book on Twitter, and that piqued my interest. I figured I would read it, and it would be more of the same trope. Mm -hmm. I was puzzling over how these sound and respectable believers could be backing <laughs> a Christian sex book. Well, what a pleasant surprise. This book is a much-needed rebuttal of all the harmful messages about sex that have been taught in the church within my lifetime. The authors respectfully and fairly critique common harmful teachings from the most widely known and popular Christian marriage and sex mm -hmm. books, much of which I have read or had influence over me having grown up in church culture. This book was extremely helpful and validating, a much needed breath of fresh air. As a woman, I felt seen and heard. It was very difficult for me to read because it brought to the surface so many things that I've been struggling with and at the same time trying to ignore. It gave voice or a framework to things I need to address but didn't know how to articulate. I read this book through tears and it was exhausting. So just a warning, <laughs> maybe be prepared to feel strong emotions as you read this book, but don't let that put you off. I think that every adult Christian, whether married or not, can benefit from reading this book. It's that important. I will probably read it again more slowly after having some time to process my emotions. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's hilarious. I love the morbid curiosity. <laughs> yeah, I love that. As uh, you know, because we've done that with so many books. Yeah, and a lot of them ended up in the Great Sex Rescue. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And I'm glad that she was pleasantly surprised. We've also yeah. had a lot of people tell us that they did read the book through tears. Yeah, and they did have to go back several times because you know what? It's a good one to help you process some of the stuff that you've been struggling with. So, and I thought this worked. This this fit in well with a reader question. I, I wish we could we could team up this woman with the reader question. I They'd probably be great friends. I know. <laughs> so there you go. So thank you for joining us for the Bear Marriage Podcast. We will be back here again next Thursday for more help for your marriage and your faith walk and everything. I should also say, hey, join us at tolovehonoredvacuum.com mm -hmm. because we love writing there. We love, we love traffic and we love reviews. So please rate and review this podcast. Yes, please. That would help. And if you would like to support us, uh, our patron, we're going to leave the link to our patron. Mm -hmm. Our patron does not actually um, fund the podcast nope. itself or the blog because those are both self-sustaining. Yes. What the Patreon does is it helps fund our research efforts and it helps fund our, uh, you know, kind of knowledge dissemination outside mm -hmm. of the blogging podcast realm where we yep. can't monetize as easily. Yep. So we're just trying to get the word out so. about our research so you can help us there I will put the link in the podcast notes and the podcast post that goes along with this you can find Kristen's book there Katie's video all kinds of stuff so come check it out and we will see you again next week on the next Bear Marriage Podcast